This week, off the rug. Get off the rug, Zeus. Out of the incredible story of a woman abducted as an infant more than 23 years ago, Carlina White was just 19 days old when she was kidnapped from a Harlem hospital. That was 1987. Carlina suspected the person who raised her wasn't her mother, and after years of investigating, she tracked down her real parents. Here's the woman who allegedly kidnapped her. Her name is Ann Petway. Officials in North Carolina say a warrant has been issued for her arrest. As for Carlina, she's now back with the family that hasn't seen her in nearly 24 years. Here are some things my daughter, Sophia and Louisa, were never allowed to do. Attend a sleepover, have a play date, watch TV or play computer games. What is interracial discrimination? That's when one race discriminates against the race that they are. Good morning and welcome to the serious side of the TJRS, broadcasting live from the Smooth Jams Jazz Cafe, right here on the TJRS Radio Network. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the serious side of the TJRS, broadcasting live from the Smooth Jams Jazz Cafe. And I'm your host, Jay, and of course I'm here as always with my co-host and first of the year, the host of the TLD Experience. He's also a teacher contributor. I'll say good morning to the man who gets the first and last word on the serious side, Mr. G.O.G. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jay. I'm fine. How are you this morning? I'm great. I have some of a cold, but hey, listen, I'll cowboy up and we'll make it happen. <laughs> ooh, ooh. I'm not sure, folks, if you're having some audio issues, but I'm trying to see that I can hear it uh, even through here. So next up, uh, she is the host of uh, the True Purpose Development Show. She's got some teaching on her as well. Let's say good morning to Dr. Good morning, Doctor. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, Jay? Doing fine. Your audio is a little bit out of whack as well, so hopefully we'll get these things fixed as we continue throughout the show. We have a great show on tap for you folks. Let's get right into it. First up, uh, you heard the lead-in. Uh, a mother and daughter, they were, re- they were reunited after 23 years. This young lady was abducted from a Harlem hospital uh, 23 years ago, and uh, she had this funny feeling that the woman who claimed to be her mother wasn't her birth mother. So after some investigation, she decided and found out that her hunch was true, that the lady who claimed to be her mother was not. a matter of fact, she really solved an unsolved crime after 23 years. But it brings to light a, a bigger question. I'll start the conversation off with you as always through TLJ. You know, the right, the wrong right time to tell a child when he or she is adopted, is there a right time for that? Do you think that, at what age do you tell a child uh, that they're adopted? Now, before I was to answer the question, I know some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute, you guys talked about this. We talked about this, I think, on the J. Rouse show. But, you know, always when we are in this setting, it's always interesting to get really a true perspective. So, G.O.G., what say you in regards to that? I think there is a right time to tell a child if they're adopted. And I think that time is as soon as that child is old enough or if they're already old enough to understand you know everything that's going on, the how and the why, and um, all that's involved. I definitely do think they should be told, and you know, of course, that's going to rely depend upon the age of the child, and of course, uh, the circumstances involved. 
I mean, you know, you've got some circumstances that play into adoptions that, of course, you wouldn't want to sit down and discuss with a five- or six-year-old um, as opposed to a 15- or a 16-year-old. But I definitely don't think, you know, unless there's just some real unusual, maybe um, disturbing circumstance involved, you know, in that adoption that that child should not ever be told. And it should be before that child reaches adulthood. Uh, that, you know, um, to, to not do that, to let it go, for whatever reason the parent deems necessary, I think uh, I can't call it anything else other than basically living a lie. That child has a right to know its history, uh, whether it leads back to an adopted parent or a biological parent, but by no means should a child go into adulthood um, thinking, you know, that uh, a set of parents or a parent is their biological parent when in case it's not because, you know, as that child gets into adulthood or gets older, maybe before it even gets uh, into adulthood, you know, they may want to go back. They may, they may want to go back. They, they may want to reach out for their biological parents. And I know I'm going down a whole different road right now. But, um, you know, and if, that, if, if that is the case, be that as it may, everybody has a right to know their true history. Interesting. What do you what do you say, Doctor? Or do you, do you think that a when is the right time to tell a child that he or she is adopted? Or the big question is, or even do you even tell the child that they're adopted? So, I mean, what say you? I say that you tell them as early as they as you begin to start teaching them, because and tip. I know you may start teaching the child at two years old, but um, or even the prior to that before their own knowledge, but. Um, when they are at age where they can understand five, six, I think it's okay to tell them. Um, my ex was adopted and was not told until he was a teenager. That causes for problems. And typically, I'm, I've known even on not just that case, but another case, a friend of mine, where in which they begin to put two and two together. Then okay. they are raised on a lie. I mean, at the end of the day, you've lied to this child. You've deceived them all of this time. So then it becomes an issue of what else don't I know? You know, so I really feel that it is it is important to be real with our children. And it's okay. We should not assume that they're, you know, they can't handle it. Be real with your child. In the long run, I believe that it can definitely do better for them and say a lot for them. Now, my question is, is this, is that when you talk about being real for a child, first of all, is there such a thing as telling a child too soon? Because at the age of five, can a child really comprehend what you're telling them? That, hey, listen, yeah. you know, I'm not your biological mother or father. Uh, I don't know. That, it just seems to me that that's a little too early, don't you think? No, I do not. A child, okay. at, these, at this day, in this day and age, a child can, they can play on computers, they can do geometry if you teach them. We okay. underestimate the, the mind of our child. We can talk to them. And you know what else? Not telling your child is like treating it like it's, like it's a disease. Is it something bad? Tell them. Sit down and tell them. We love you. And this is what we've, you know, we've, we've done. We loved you so much. We adopted you. Whatever you have to do to tell the child in a manner in which the child can understand I believe that it is most suitable for that child. Otherwise, I, I, I still say I've seen it twice. It 
damages the child. As a teenager, you think they're old enough, but yet you've spent all of these years deceiving them and having them believe that you are something that you're not. Well, uh, eight minutes after the hour, it's the serious side. So I guess the thing is, is this, is that when you when you say deceiving them, I, I don't know, GOG, I think that I'm somewhat torn. I think a child should know uh, that they're, they are adopted. Uh, but to me, you know, I, the million-dollar question for me is when, and I know that's the topic of this set, but when do you tell them? And to me, I think when you say at the age of five, six, seven, see, for me, either it has to be early or it has to be late. I don't think you tell a child that they're adopted uh, in the middle, uh, you know, between the ages of, I don't know, uh, pre-K and 12th grade, because I think that what you do is you create a problem for that child from a psychological standpoint, because now, you know, kids rebel when they get to certain ages. And so all of a sudden you get this, well, you're not my mother anyway. I'm going to find my real mom. I just think that it creates an atmosphere that may be unhealthy and may not contribute to the overall success of the young child, would say you. I still agree with that, and um, I agree with the doctor on as soon as possible. But when when we get to talking about specifically how early, again, the determining factor there is the comprehension and intelligence level of that child because along with telling that child, and, and, and you cannot split the two up, is, okay, I'm adopted. Why? A five-year-old is not going to be able to understand he's adopted because his mother left him in a trash can. Uh, a four-year-old is not going to be able to understand or comprehend totally, may do more damage than good, as a matter of fact, that he or she is adopted because her father killed her mother and the rest of her family. When you got circumstances like that, that's that's uh, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, even some uh, uh, adolescents can't handle that. So I think that when we start talking about how soon or when, we we have to look at and consider the circumstances on why that child was adopted. Now, if the circumstances are something, well, I think in very rare cases can you call reasons for a child being adopted normal. I mean, um, they're the non-horrific, you know, circumstances, of course, but when it comes down to that child itself, you know, not having of being with the biological parents, they're not going to perceive anything as normal about that. But but my point is, is I think we have to look at, I know we have to look at the why when determining how young to tell them. And then again, there's a flip side to this whole whole um, um, debate or, 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 or argument, um, is you have to look at the age of the child, too, when it's adopted. Now, if you're adopting... Um, a 13, 14, 15-year-old, okay, I mean, more than likely that, that child that child already going to know what's going on. So, you know, there's a percentage of that, a, a, a percentage in this whole argument that you don't have to worry about in the first place. But in regards to small children or maybe adopting them from a baby, it, it's always going to come back from where I'm sitting as to why that child was adopted. You, you know what? If you, this is, you are right about that, Gio. And another thing that I, what I wanted to add, though, when you're telling a child when they're young, you, I mean, you have to use wisdom. I mean, you know, yes, if it, if it was extreme cases such as, you know, murder of a family, you know, something that, would, that you know would be tra- uh, uh, detrimental to the child's mental state at that point, too much for them to handle, then yes, not telling them. 
but to tell them, and you can tell that's why it's important, tell them as you would tell a child, but let them know in a very loving way. Especially, there have been times, I mean, in, in all cases, the children realize it anyways. When they find out when they're a teenager, you talk about problems, that's when there's problems. You talk about mental, affecting them mentally, oh, it affects them in a major way mentally at the when they find out when they're in their teen in their teens even as adulthood when they find out then they spend the rest of their they I have another friend another friend she found out when she was an adult I can't tell you how that caused problems in her family as well as with her mother they had an estranged relationship as a result of that for years in her adulthood because she couldn't understand why and there's always someone in the family that's going to tell you they may be waiting to tell you as a child they may be waiting to tell you when you're a teenager or when you and you are an adult there are some malicious people that will pull you inside aside and say well you know that's not your mother you know so to eliminate all of those challenges it is just so much better to communicate to the child and maybe there needs to be um, in the adoption agency, something something implemented that will say an effective way to tell your child that they're adopted. In certain age groups, there should be a class like that. But it doesn't, to me, in my mind, remove the. To, it, it's just it's the, you have to tell them. You have to tell them. And yeah. teenager, adult, you're you're pick pick one. It's all going to be an issue if you wait. Yes, you don't tell them all the gory details at five, but you let them know in a loving way, and then yeah. you they you can communicate to them, and you know as they get older. Right. Thirteen minutes after the hour, it's the serious side of the TGRS right here on the TGRS Radio Network. Now, GLG, you brought up something that I definitely want to talk about. You brought up the fact that you know the reasons for the adoption, and see, and that's why I think, and I mentioned uh, earlier, the psychological effect when you start talking about. The reasons for the adoption, you know, when you tell a child that basically your birth parents didn't want you. I mean, basically, in some cases, that well, it all boils down to that. I mean, regardless of what we say or how we say it, it's a situation where, you know, maybe from an economic standpoint, they couldn't afford to have you. Maybe it was a situation where uh, the kid was, uh, you know, uh, born to a crack addict, whatever the situation is, or to a teenage mom, whatever. But the bottom line is, is that basically what you're saying in a nutshell is that, hey, mommy and daddy didn't want you. And so what type of psychological effect will that have on a child, especially if you tell them during the years in which they are, you know, going through adolescence and things of that nature? I think that's always going to have a, a certain degree of an impact if the case is or the situation is that the biological parents didn't want them um, age, uh, regardless of the age no matter how old they are, because no one wants to hear that they weren't wanted by the very people that were supposed to uh, and were charged with loving and caring for them. So I think that in any age we talk about, that's going to have a psychological impact. Um, fortunately, uh, children are very resilient. Some of them, uh, depending upon the age, playing a huge factor in this, probably will be able to, no, are capable of handling it better than some, better than most, I think. But and you know they they get on with it and get around it, especially um, you know very intelligent children that are aware that this not only happened to them but it happens to thousands of other children. And then there's some that you know, um, and that's the other thing that the the, the adopted parent is going to have to take into consideration. 
it may do have long-lasting um, psychological effects on this child, I mean, leading to long-term therapy or something. And, if you know, it plays right into what the doctor just said about, you know, her friend. You know, you may, um, may result in an estranged relationship from you and yourself. And this is something that the parents need to consider, have to consider, take into consideration when they sit down and get ready to reveal to a child, um, you know, you're adopted all the ramifications that can play from that. I mean, that child can uh, be pushed so far the other way that they decide to run away. Hey, or, you know, here we go, you you could push them into depression. And, um, you know, you may wind up with, um, you know, some of the things, some of the unfortunate things that depression can lead to. I mean, these are all the things that a parent, needs, I would say, needs to take into consideration before they sit down, as well as that age, and reveal to a child that, you know, you're adopted. It's It's... Uh, you know, you want to tell them the average meaning, meaningful, well-meaning biological parent, of course, wants to tell them the truth and should. I'm not backing down from that. They should. But, you know, you need to consider that age, everything that plays into it, and uh, the effects. Really consider the effects that this news may have on them. And then what happens? You know, um, and this is a question that the, parents, the, the adoptive parents should ask themselves as well. What happens if that child says, well, I want to see my parents? And that parent is um, a mass murderer or that parent's a drug addict on the street. I want to see my parents. You know, what do you do? Right. And see, that was my issue. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. That, that was my issue, Doctor. I was just getting ready to go to you. That that was my issue. What happens when the child, because then the curiosity kicks in. Because we all know kids, listen, we, we've had kids. We, we know we have kids. We know how kids react in certain situations. You deal with, you know, the terrible twos from all the way up to when a person becomes 16, 17 years old. When you start dealing with those types of situations, then you know that a kid is more inclined to rebel a little bit at, at those ages. So then you ask yourself the question, okay, my goodness, now you have a kid that's not only pissed off, they know that I'm not their parent. Now they're going to go out and find their biological mother and father. And that, that individual. Anyway. Well, but you know what, that, that individual may be very dangerous, what say you? Well, they're, they're going to seek anyways, regardless of however you look at it. Uh, when, but again, if if they find out, I still stand because because if they find out when they're a teenager, okay. you don't even you can't imagine the problems that that child goes through. When they start putting two and two together, there's another ball game that you're dealing with. On top of the adolescent, they're not. It's it's not easy. First of all, to find parents that are missing. You know, in most cases, it's not that easy. Okay. Um, and they may not have success. But if you are an adopt adopted, if you are an adoptee parent, then you know what? If you're treating that child with love, and and you're dealing with them in love, there should be no worries. They they know they love you, and and they know that you've been there for them. It also depends on you know. I always say this: blood is thicker than water. Depending on under what circumstances you you receive that child, whether the child was a crack baby or or whatever the issues were mentally, some things that can affect that child, well, you're going to if if you if you just if you just communicate to the child and show them love, I, I'm just going to say it. If you show them love, I've seen it happen. I mean, I even know more cases. Now another one's coming to me. I, I don't even know how I could think about, rem, uh, forget this. My children's aunt, she adopted five children. 
and they all knew they were adopted. They they were adopted under different circumstances. Came from one home to another, and they ended up with her. They were supposed to just stay with her for a little while. She ended up adopting the children. They love their. They love her. She, the, she did not take them from you know the parents, and and I think one of the chi- one of the children, her parents are still living, but there were some situations that caused for you know her not the baby not to be able to be with the mother. She explained that to the child, you know, and they they knew they were adopted, but at the same time, there was so much love and togetherness in the home that that overpowered the fact that they were adopted because the adopted part is not a conversation. That became the love. That was the love act, you know. It's just however you're treating that child, those problems really, I believe, happen when you have parents that have adopted children to get money, and to try to make a living, they treat the children like crap. They have other children, and they cause there to be a separation. You, you're not in control of your home environment enough where you can communicate to your biological children that you do not separate yourself from your other sister here or your brother here. You are all one, and I love you all the same, and, and there's love you know, between the family in that manner. Yeah, there's situations like that too, where you have the kids talking to the biological kids talking to the adopted children. So you have to be in control of that, and you have to consider all of those facts when you choose to adopt a child. I still say you need to let them know as young as possible, with wisdom, communicate to them. Period. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. Twenty one minutes after the hour, it's the serious side. I have about nine minutes left in the set. So, okay, so here we go. And this is what I want, Josie. I'll go to you first. Let's talk about. Okay, so give me an age. At what age? You know, I think you may have said at what time, but give me a specific age you would tell an individual that he or she was adopted. What age would you do that? I tell me why. Focus right around age somewhere between seven and ten. And I say that because that's when that brain starts to develop on another, on that adolescent level where it can start to grasp and at least comprehend on a very basic level things that played into how how I got here, why I got here, Mm -hmm. uh, and how I wound up with adopted parents. I'd focus between ages seven and nine under average circumstances, just normal, uh, you know, uh, circumstances where maybe, I don't know, both parents just deceased from something that was unavoidable. I would go a little earlier, but on a whole, I'd say between ages seven and ten. I'd focus between seven and ten. Okay. And for me, uh, I would tell the child, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, after the child has graduated from high school, and let me tell you why, for some of the reasons that I named during the set. But one of the things I don't want to do is be a distraction for that child to learn. It's already tough being a kid. And so for me to sit here and put that extra burden on the child while I'm trying to develop this person into a fine young man or a fine young woman, I don't think we need that. I think at the age of 18, uh, when they're out of high school or maybe their senior year in high school, whatever the case may be, uh, I think they are at that age where they would understand 
understand exactly what's going on. Uh, I would tell them the reasons why. I would also break it down. I'd tell them why we got you, where we got you from, and give you, give them the circumstances. And I think that a child at that age, especially making the leap, you know, like the famous song from boys to men, or in this case from girls to young ladies, I think they're able to comprehend that a little better uh, at that age. That's just my that's just my uh, uh, thought process. And Precious Audio, I'll give you the last word and give us the ages and the reason why you would do it at that age. Well, as I did communicate during the set strongly, mm-hmm. uh, I would say uh, anywhere between 5 and 10. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really believe better. I gear towards the 5 years old, uh, communicating and talking with your child, letting it be open discussion, and then informing them more and more as they get older. That's what I believe. I believe that it's important so that they can begin to under... It's a part of their life, but it's not as if it's a plague. It's not a disease. We, you know, they are expressed... It's expressed to them love, not just in words, but in action. And you are working together with that situation as a family. I think it's very important. Okay. Now, we do have a few minutes left. Let, let's do this. And, and let me ask you, and I'll start off with you, GLG. Now, some of the things that we named uh, in regards to telling a child that they're adopted, uh, those things could work against you when it comes to adopting kids. You know, the thing is that we all know this, that a lot of the, you know, usually when people adopt kids, they are adopting babies. Some of the, the, the kids that are older, it's hard for them to uh, be adopted because, once again, because of the situation, I mean, obvious situations. So, I mean, my question to you is is this, is that the same reasons we listed as to why we tell a child when or how we tell a child that they're adopted, don't those situations exist when it comes to adoption of kids? Yeah, they do. They do. But there again, I think um, honesty and forthrightness, is going to have to prevail, and that's a chance, you know, again, the outcome uh, that, that we, we're going to have to take as adoptive parents. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's one of many um, things that play into it, and that the child is going to have to be able to comprehend, consume, and, and digest. But I think we owe it to that child at some point, whether it's 5, 10, 22, um, to put it all out on the table for them, for them. Um, or what's going to happen is we ber- we ba- basically um, uh, laid laid the platform, laid the groundwork, and um, for them to be raised, living what is going to perceive be perceived in their mind a lie. And and when it comes, what they find out on their own, you know, some of the things that we're talking this morning, of course, you know, being uh, intelligent, considerate people and parents ourselves. Some of the things that we're considering, now that's going to go out the door if they find out themselves. I mean, I mean, at that point, for most of these children, you know better than that lying, thieving parent that didn't want me. So I, I hear you, and you're absolutely right. They're, 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 that would come into play when it comes down to, you know, revealing to the child that they're adopted. But, again, I think that um, it, it comes right back down to being honest and for a fight. Yeah. All right, Chris, you have the last word for real this time. What say you? <laughs> I just want to say use wisdom in all cases and consider all options as well as all of the ramifications when you you make the choice to adopt a child. The circumstances are serious. Your child's life is serious. And it's almost like divorce. 
when is there a good time to say goodbye? When is there a good time to tell your child it's it's you it, it's a tough decision, but you've got to be the one to make it. So use wisdom. All right. With that said, set one in, in the books. Tell you what, folks. Starting off with a bang as always. Coming up next, we're talking. Okay, I think we've we've lost Jay for a moment. resident map of the south mom to little donna kickstarting your weekend every friday with ladies first radio of the gay route show a show for women by women tune in every friday 7 p.m central standard time 8 p.m eastern standard time as my co-host princess odelia and i discuss everyday issues and offer inspirational solutions from the east coast to the west coast to all over the world ladies first radio keeps it real spreading positivity one show at a time so come be uplifted with Ladies First Radio, the J-Rouse Show. Every Friday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Ladies First Radio, the J-Rouse Show. A show for women, by women.
And Amy Chua is with us now again. Her book is called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Amy, good morning. Good morning. This book is causing quite a controversy. So many comments on, on blogs all over the place, all over the web, including our own Today Show Facebook page. Just some of the things people are saying about you. She's a monster. The way she raised her kids is outrageous. Not the mainstream Chinese or Asian way. Another person says, kids need to be kids. At some point, Tiger Mom, they are not robots. This is very sad. Where is the love, the acceptance? Children should be allowed to succeed and fail, as both are great lessons. Welcome back. 34 minutes after the hour, it's the serious side of the TGR. It happens every Sunday morning right here on the TGR's radio network. And folks, we're talking about Chinese mothers versus black mothers. Now, and I think we can extend this to all mothers. You heard the lead-in. A uh, Chinese mom this past week, talked, a book was released saying how she would use almost military tactics when it, when it came to raising her kids. And so now it brings up a very interesting question, and now everyone's talking about this. And, and Princess Aldea, I'll go to you first. Knowing what you know now, the fact that she wouldn't allow her kids to watch TV, she wouldn't allow her kids to have video games, she wouldn't allow her kids to have sleepovers, she stressed excellence. If you came home with anything less than an A, you were in trouble. She made them play piano or violin. Knowing what you know now, could, do we do we call this extreme parenting, or are we saying, listen, this is par for the course, and other parents should take her lead? What say you? No, it's extreme parenting. Definitely. I think that there has to be a balance in everything that we do in life, including parenting. So to to totally denounce everything out of that child's life, you're causing for them, first of all, yes, I mean, there's, there's a time and place for everything. There's a time for you to work hard. Um, as a child, the child needs to be a child. You wind up with situations like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, and he himself talked about how he wanted to just regain his childhood because he wasn't able to play. Then the child doesn't know how to balance the fun things in life. They don't have a balance. I believe in giving my children a balance. I am not one to allow them to sit in front of the TV all the time. Now, that I am. And I, you know, for hours just sitting watching show after show after show after show. First of all, I help to keep them busy, and it has come to the point now they're not interested in sitting in front of the TV all the time. But at one time, I think I had gone too too far to the left, where when my child would get, my children would get in front of the TV, they would sit there, and people would, you know, if I went to a friend's house, they would say, wow, they are really engrossed in that television. And I'm like, oh, I, I have to bring some balance here because they act like, you know, like a child hasn't had a meal and they go somewhere and they try to scarf it down. So you have to bring a balance to the child's life. That's my opinion. Hmm. Now, okay, well, GOG, let me throw some numbers at you. Okay, reading one, science one, math one, 19, 24, 27, okay, Chinese kids, are, you know, doing a lot better than American kids. So when we talk about this, you know, and it's really, to me, it's called tough love. When we're talking about this, I mean, do we, are we a nation of wimps when it comes to raising our kids? Do we let our kids get away with too much? And she brought up an excellent point about Michael Jackson. Because Michael Jackson, that's one of the things that Michael Jackson did talk about, the fact that he was not able to grow up. He was treated like a man at the age of three and four. What say you? 
Um, I think that when it comes to Chinese comparing 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 Chinese parenting um, against um, you know alongside Western parenting, I, I think that's that's an unfair. I don't I don't even think a comparison can be made or should be made. Um, one. You know, China itself is predicated, based, the country itself is based off of censorship. So a lot of the things that this lady's talking about uh, is already mandated by the government. You ever tried to watch a TV in China? Uh, no child wants to watch it. Um, from what I'm hearing, you, you, you're not going to be too interested in the Internet either because it sends it all up and down. So they are born into a culture, if you would, a stringent culture of censorship, and um, 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 uh, just, just strictness as a whole, and um, to to take one mother, the, in, in this case, this lady that's written this book, and look at her tactics um, when it comes to raising a child, and, and then you know at the end of the day evaluate Western moms, be they black, white, uh, or even Chinese. Again, I, I don't I don't think that's a fair comparison because. Um, there are some Western moms, some Western black moms, Western white moms that, um, while not the same um, incidents, are just as strict as this lady. At the end of the day, though, I think the evaluation should be made on how the child turns out. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, Chinese children as a whole seem to do more academically well than Western children. But there are, there are a lot of other things that play into this that people don't talk about that if you really want to evaluate the success of parents, you've got to look at, too, like the Chinese crime rate for adolescents. It's risen almost 50, 60 percent over the last decade. Um, so, you know, we look at the academic side, um, and, yeah, okay, stacked up beside Western children, sure. But um, a lot uh, the other thing that plays into this academic role is, as we know, there's an influx of Chinese students um, going into our colleges. As a matter of fact, every year there, there are more wanting to come that can be accepted or that are accepted. Um, but you've got to look at it this way. When you're raised and reared and the investment is put in you to go abroad to continue your education, that parent and that child are going to be a little bit more serious about that education than say the average Joe that's got to go around the corner to go to the whole to go to go to that same university so more than likely those incoming Chinese students that are coming in our universities are going to do better than our children because hey you know my parents struggles and and, and, and you know sacrifice for me to come abroad to get an education a Western education I, I'm not I can't afford to screw this up well but when we talk about this now let's 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 really get into the to, to the meat and potatoes of it when you, when you really sit back and think about it I think all of us as parents we want our kids to be successful and so we're saying look you know maybe you maybe her uh, tactics were extreme I think the problems that I had with it and I saw one of the comments in the chat room the fact that the young lady would call would berate her kids you know I remember hearing a story about one of her kids made her a uh, birthday card okay and when she made the birthday card, her mother said, "You know what? This is not, this is not excellent, and I will not accept this." And threw it back at the child. I oh, mean, it oh. just seemed, yeah. So, so it seemed to me. But if you, you know, during the interview with the children, they seem to be normal kids. Um, um, some of the kids have, you know, one of the daughters has rebelled a little bit, and so the mother is is loosening, loosening her lease, so to speak. But when you talk about this, I mean, we want the best for our kids. So, why not? 
give them maybe 18 years of just total <laughs> training because, trust me, they are going to be adults a lot longer than they are kids. What say you, doctor? Well, first of all, I, you know, I, I just, I, I really want to say that there's just importance for us to spend time. Okay, I, I, I know uh, one of my colleagues has a little, little daughter, and this is a, this is a black male. He spends. I, I watched him. Um, he was at the library. Oh, he's been at the library for years. His child is now. She's seven. Since the age of three, I've seen him do this. He spends consistently two to three hours a day solid with that child in face, teaching her um, teaching her math, teaching her English, etc. She is seven years old. She knows geometry out of her head. You can bring, give her math problems. She, she will do the math problems. She knows how to study, an effective way of studying. She, she's, she's phenomenal. She's a brilliant kid. And she's very focused. I asked she she I asked her. I ran into them after the holidays, and I asked her. I said, "How was your How was your uh, vacation?" She said, "Oh, it was fine." She said, "We returned from wherever they were at one ten p.m. One, at one ten a.m. in the morning, so it was pretty late." She was very very uh, aware and conscious of things around her, whereas a normal kid said, "Oh, it was fine. It was good." She knew the times. She knew what time she went to bed. The point is this. The time that the parent spent with that child cultivated that child to what, to the knowledge that she has now. She'll more than like, likely be another Harvard student. Um, she will know how to balance because they actually teach her how to balance her life even as a child. You know, she can play, and there's treats for her, and, and it's done in a loving way. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the phone number. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's forty four minutes after the hour. It's the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show. Happens every Sunday morning, nine a.m. Central Standard Time, right here on BTR Radio. Now, one of the things I want to say here, real quick, before I bring this next guy in, we're going to start a blog here on the TGRS Radio Network. And one of the guys that's the guy actually will, who will be leading that blog is a guy by the name of Trent. I want to introduce you guys to him, but he has a comment on what we're talking about this morning. Let me say good morning. Let's say good morning to Trent. Trent, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, brother. Well, listen, uh, I told everyone you're going to be writing a blog for the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the blog and then go ahead with your comment. Um, the blog is, is, is a blog called Let's Talk About Us, and it's, it's, it's a place where uh, um, we can comment on certain things in the African-American community and um, how it affects us. Um, I've been writing the blog for a while, and, and some of my friends ask me why I write this blog about uh, African Americans in particular. And I told them it's because um, I can't come in on other problems in the world until I get my house clean. And our house is so filthy and needs so much cleaning right now. I think we waste time commenting so much and talking about other ills in, in the world and uh, not spending enough time talking about what's wrong with our own. That's a good point. So now, what's your comment on this particular topic? You know, I I I uh I was I've been listening to the to the topic about the Chinese mothers and the and the uh, African American mothers, but um one of the things that uh, people don't know when they're reading this is that Asian American women ages 15 to 24 lead in the highest suicide rate amongst all ethnic groups, according to the Department of Health and Human Services. So uh, that kind of uh, motherhood takes its toll actually on their uh, on the entire race of Asian Americans. 
Hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. So, 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 what you're saying is, is that the stress from actually trying to be the perfect being, so to speak, will cause most of these mothers to to commit suicide. Now, here's another thing I want to talk about, and, and of course, Trent, you know, you are a part of the family now. And if you want to hang around and, and have a conversation with us this morning, you're more than welcome to. Here's something else I, I want to talk about here. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we talk about, you know, these numbers. When you sit back and think about the numbers, GOG, okay, um, you know, Chinese parents are only allowed to have one child per family or per household, right? So, you know, it almost goes back to tell me if I'm looking at this from a simplistic measure because one of the things that people always tell me is like, you know what, well, there, you know, when I argue about flying, because for those of you all who may know me personally, I'm not a fan of flying. And one of the things people are always throwing in my face is the fact that, well, you know what, there are more car wrecks than there are plane crashes. Well, there are more cars than there are planes. And I guess my point is to make the transition is, listen, we have more you know we have households of three, four, five kids in some cases where parents have to you know focus on more than one child versus the Chinese parents per se, and tell me if I'm looking at this wrong, has to focus on one child and make sure that child has everything he or she needs to be successful. Uh, does that hold a place in this argument, GLG? Absolutely, uh, absolutely, uh, and you're right. Um, that is one of the things that they that we if you're going to really talk about comparing. You know, success rates among the, the various parents that has to play into that argument. Um, the Chinese one-child policy, which I think affects somewhere around maybe 35% of the Chinese parents. You're right. Um, the more children you have, if you're really looking at success rates per child, um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, the higher your percentage of a child coming out of maybe um, three, four, or five household family that someone's not going to deem successful stacked up beside that one um, Chinese, one child Chinese household. And there again, as we all know, um, as parents, if you've got one child, okay, your focus is going on, and it, it should be that one child. That's all you have to focus on in terms of raising a child. But when you're dealing with a household of two, three, four, five children, okay, your focus is spread out, and then you're going to have to spread it out all over the place. And at the end of the whole deal, there may be somebody in there. Matter of fact, comparing those children in that same household, there may be a child that comes out of there that somebody is not going to deem as successful as that next child based on and subjective to whatever the individual criteria is that's doing the judging. I mean, just because somebody looks at this child and says, Amy is not as good as Paul or, you know, uh, the Chinese child, um, does not mean that that child is not successful. As I said, I think, we, you, you know, we have to look way into the future when we start talking about the success rates of, um, you know, children or how successful parents were. You know, this lady's getting beat up. Well, not, well, yeah, okay, she's getting beat up across the board because of her parenting tactics. But you know what? I have always said, you know, you got to ask the question, is there anywhere in there where she abused the child? And if you're going to answer that no, then I think, yeah, some of her tactics, while stringent, you know, they are her individual tactics. But at the end of the day, if that child's not abused, you know, I don't think that anybody really has the right to call or, or, or dictate what level, uh, you know, or, or the measures of parents institute. Because here's the real truth, okay? Um, and Westerners have been charged with this. I'm not charging them with it, but I've seen the charge over and over again about being lax parents, holding hands, um, soft, soft parenting methods. 
Uh, the thing is, is uh, when that child turns 18, 19, or whatever, 20, and goes out into the world on their own, uh, and you, you need only look at our jails right now, um, when the authorities show up to arrest someone for a crime or, you know, a deed that wasn't legal, they're not going to hold your hand. They're not, you're not right. going to have soft arm tactics. You're going to get some cuffs slapped on you, and, you know, you're going to be thrown behind some bars, and, you know, there it is. So I think we need to look at, you know, long-term, the effect that some of these, you know, that, that, that the actual parenting techniques has. See, what, what are the parents turning out? I think if the child's still in the house um, and hadn't even graduated high school yet, it's too soon to make the call on whether that parent was successful or not. You're right now. One, you said you talked about abusing the child. Now, Princess Ardea, Doctor Princess Ardea, I should say, uh, mental abuse. I mean, that should constitute something, right? I mean, you know, think about the psychological effect: berating a child, trying to make sure that this child is perfect at everything. I mean, we, you know, where is the the uh, uh, the leeway to allow a child to have, a, you know, a creative or a curiosity, uh, uh, you know, or something like that from an art standpoint? Because think about it. You know, some of the greatest pieces of arts were created by Americans and things of that nature. So when you take away that that uh, curiosity, that, uh, uh, I can't think of the term I'm looking for, but it's innocence. You know, a child needs to learn. So when you talk about abuse, mental abuse, one could say, uh, that these children are going through because they are beaten. I'm not going to say beaten, but they are pushed to be, you know, the very best. What say you? Well, you know, you brought out a very good point when you talk about the creativity and what is necessary to actually cultivate a real rounded human being forget whatever nationality but a human being and this here this tactic of of just control is really just a, a sense of control that is dominating within that culture I was when you guys were talking about the debate, the, the situation of the Chinese and them having the one child. I, I, I had to go online to look at that. I'm thinking, is that did they put that in writing? And it's definitely in writing. Although they are considering to they're attempting to relook at that right. policy, but it is mm-hmm. something that actually was put written down as a policy. Right. It's just a, a, a sense of control. That does not create a rail-rounded child. It does bring about depression, and it brings about, dep- about stress. I have Chinese friends, and no, they have not um, been in compliance with the one-child rule either, I, but they, I will say they don't have, I haven't seen any with four and five. I, I have the most um, of my group of friends that I do have, I've seen them with two children, mm-hmm. but at the same time, but I've seen them also operate with them in a sense of parenting as we do in our culture, giving them um, a well-rounded base and foundation. Yes, piano, or there's all, they're always active in some type of instrument or activity, but we all should do that with our children. That's also cultivating the creativity in the child, so that's not harmful. But they are very serious about the academics. There can be a balance in that. Just us spending, us parents slowing down, getting in front of our children, 
two hours a day if possible. We say we don't have time, but we if we knock off 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, we can actually bring up to that point the that, that time. And we'll find that even in our lives we'll become more balanced. The challenge has been for many of us, especially in the urban communities, we are having to work extra hard. Maybe you have single single mothers that are having to work two jobs, three jobs in some cases, and they do not have the time to spend time with the child. And that's where we lack academically. Um, Right. Right. You know what? She brings up an excellent point. And for those of you all who may just uh, tuned in, we have a new member of the family, uh, Trent. He's uh, a blogger. He'll be blogging here on the uh, network. And let me go to him now. Let's talk about this for a second. You know, we talk about, you know, Chinese moms. But we also, you know, also the second part of this thing is Chinese moms versus black mothers, because some would say black mothers are very, very strict when it comes to their children. You know, some of them won't allow their kids to do certain things. So what say you in regards to that? Well, personally, you know how I feel about a, a politics personally, and, and I, it's my personal belief that black mothers are, are extremely conservative. Um, okay. And, and being, being conservative... Uh, we, they're really mindful of who their children are with, what their children are doing, how their children are doing, or should I say it used to be that way. Um, we're back, black mothers are also very mindful of the creative, uh, making sure that their kids uh, have a, a sense of creativity. Um, in that, uh, in the past, we, let our, we, we spent a lot of time with our kids at church as a, as a race of folks, and a lot of times we got our creativity at church. Sometimes to the detriment of education, in my opinion, I don't think that uh, as, a, as a race of folks, in, in general, I don't think that we spend enough time focusing on the educational part as much as we spend focusing on the spiritual part of our child's well-being. Hmm. Okay. You want to continue to go along with that? I'm very intrigued with that statement. Well, you know, for instance, my grandmother, my grandmother, if you... As a child, I watched her with my uh, uncles and my aunts and my dad and, and watched her with me. And um, I'm not saying that conduct wasn't important, but I, I'm sure this is true in a lot of black households. The conduct grade was more important than the academic grade. I grew up with that. I don't really I'm, – I'm concerned with what you made academically, but how did you act in class? How, right. you know, uh, were, you, were you kind to people? Were you nice to people? And um, instead of uh, focus being put on, you know, you need to read the American classics. Or you need to focus on, on on science. You need to focus on math. It was always, you know, you need to go to church. You need to read the Bible. Uh, we got to go to Sunday school. That seemed to be more important. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be. That that that's a uh, that's personal choice. It just seemed to be in my life more important than academics. Hmm. You know what? Wow. He brings up a very interesting point. Three minutes before the hour, it's the serious side of the TGRS. It happens every Sunday morning right here on the TGRS Radio Network, and we're talking about Chinese parents versus black parents. And i tell you what, G.O.G., he brought up a very interesting point because it does seem, I mean, when you think about religion, uh, you know, the first thing you think about is, you know, you know, uh, my dear, you know, or you think of Big Mama in church with the kids with the big hats and things of that nature. It seems to me that black or African-American parents, especially mothers, they do focus more on you know church and the spiritual being versus education i mean do you think that statement is too far out there what what, what do you say about that no i don't think it's too far out there at all because the church has always been a huge part of african-american culture in the communities and probably will continue to be 
um, as, as we go into the future. Uh, it, it's, it's been a part of raising children, you know, as far back as, uh, you know, slavery and even, even beyond then. And there is a, there, there, you know, I have to agree with him. There's a percentage of folk out there where, you know, religion comes first and everything else kind of, kind of falls in place, you know, under it. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, I, I won't argue with that, uh, 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 analogy, uh, you know, uh, that if folk want to take that, but I would say, you know, okay, you know, behind your God or behind your religion, okay, I think that's where you need to start uh, really scrutinizing where your worldly priorities are falling into place. Shouldn't, shouldn't really, um, you know, uh, I would say have a negative impact um, academically, um, uh, economically, if they remain, if those, um, I'm sorry, those priorities remain in place after religion. But um, I think it's all going to come down to how high you set the standard for that child. And I think this is where this, this, this ultimately is going to go back to. How high and in what areas are you setting the standard for this child? And, you know, are you holding them to whatever the standards you set as a parent and what plays into those standards? You know, I'm reading something here in the uh, chat room in Black Achievement America, Black Achievement USA, he writes, I've seen, in Princess Idea, I'm going to read the statement, then I'm going to ask you for your response. So I've seen black boys chance basketball and football to no end. And it is no surprise that if you look at the big teen universities, 90% of the players that are that play are black, but less than 5% of the graduates are black. And we ask ourselves why. What say you in regards to that statement? I say that what our our black children, a lot of them feel that that is the way that they're going to make money. Right. And they put all their all into it, into cultivating that. I've seen parents do it where they themselves push that child to no end in that regard. Their goal is to become an NBA or NFL star or whatever so that they can sustain themselves in life. It's sort of like do the basketball, do a sport so that you don't hit the streets. Some of these young people, if you go into the school systems, though, unfortunately, in the urban communities, the school system is horrible, absolutely horrible. Here in Detroit, they've closed down so many schools, it's not even funny. They have even taken art out of the Detroit schools, Okay. So there is no balance. So you have these children that are in the inner city. They they don't have the education that the suburban schools are offering. And they have basketball courts. A lot of the courts are not even, they're barely standing at the park. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what they do. So I say that, okay, we it, it it's not a balance. Again, just like in the Chinese, they work too hard. And then you have on the black, you know, on the black side as as Black Achievement USA has talked about, where you have students and children that are that they're fighting for their life. That's what they want to do because they don't want to be on the street. They may not feel that they have academically what is needed to make it in life, so they're going after that dream. So uh, you know, Trent, I tell you what, you know, you know where I'm going with this because you've known me for a very long time. Here's the deal. So now, what? Okay, why is that any different? 
from what the Chinese parents are doing. I mean, the Chinese parents are saying, look, I want you to be, you know, all pro at education. I want to make sure that you spend every waking hour being the very best person you can be from an academic standpoint because regardless, most of the time, uh, uh, if something happens to you physically, your brain will always be there, of course, unless something really ridiculous happens. But for, for the most part, you will be mentally intact. It's no different from a father taking his son outside and making him shoot 300 free throws until he comes. He can't come off the court until, you know, until he makes 10 in a row or, 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 you know, taking him out every Sunday to go. I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, we're so obsessed with trying to make it from a sports standpoint or from, you know, think about the Jacksons. We talked about Michael Jackson earlier. Think about how the dad would make them practice today's end. You know, what's the difference? I mean, it seems to me that both parents or both cultures are trying to focus on making their kids the best, but it really depends on the, the Asian people want them to be best from an academic standpoint, and other people are saying, look, I want you to either be able to play sports or dance. What say you? Well, you know, my dad used to tell me all the time uh, as a kid, if you want to know what a man loves, watch where he spends his money. And I, I say that in, 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 in thinking that uh, if you want to know what a parent values, watch where they spend time with their kids. Um, it baffles me that uh, to, even today uh, some people don't realize that uh, the education doesn't start at the schools. It doesn't start at the schools. And I, I personally feel very sorry for teachers and administrators and all the people involved with the school districts because they have a, a heavy load to bear and that people think, uh, here, I'm giving you my kid. I don't want the kid here, but I want you to make this kid the best they can be. But when that kid gets home and they spend most of their living time at home, there's no education at all. So what what do we really expect from our from, from the people in the school districts? You know, because we've lost the we've we've lost any semblance of that the majority of your education is at home. Personally, if if my daughter comes home and the teacher tells her she hates it, the teacher tells her, Okay, you have to read for twenty minutes. She knows. Twenty minutes is doesn't cut it for me. Twenty minutes mm-hmm. is doesn't cut it for me and I explained to her that education you're getting from school is a small part of the big education you're gonna get. And the big education get is gonna is gonna be the education at home. I personally have the American classics in my house. He has to read the American classics. Um, we we talk about math, we talk about science. But we don't go shoot hoops. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, uh, for, for parents that, that do want to do that, but if I would teach my daughter about sports, I would tell her, No, don't focus on being a basketball player, baby. Focus on being Mark Cuban. Focus on being the owner. Let's figure out what that guy did to get where he's at. That's the important thing. You need to be the one that's writing the checks. Right, right, right. Uh, four minutes after the hour, it's the serious side of the TGR. It happens every Sunday morning right here on the BTR Radio Network. And folks, we're talking about Chinese parents versus black parents. And one of the questions that I just posed, and I'll ask you, GOG, next, is, you know, bottom line is, is that, once again, Asian Americans or Asian parents are saying, look, I want you to, I want you to go pro in uh, athletics. I mean, I'm sorry, in academics. I want you to be... You know, I want you to be the top draft pick for a company. I want you, like Trent just said, I want you writing the checks versus receiving the checks. So, you know, but then we talk about African-American parents. You know, listen, we're all African-American. We have to call a spade a spade. And the bottom line is is that, you know, I know a lot of parents who, you know, take their kids out, and especially dads, you know, they want their kids to be the next, you know, Michael Jordan, the next LeBron James, the next Kobe Bryant. They spend hours on top of hours making sure that this kid can hone their skill sets. But when it comes to homework, it just seems to me that they're satisfied enough for this kid to make sure that this kid remains academically eligible to play sports, but the focus is the focus is on sports versus academics. What say you? 
I see that all too often, and, 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 and you know, we would, like you said, we would be lying to ourselves to say it's not um, present, especially in the African American community. But that goes back to uh, that's parenting, focusing, focusing on um, short-term cash and what I call phony flash. And it's a mentality that's been part of our culture that stems all the way back from slavery and a lot of variables play into it, years of denial and oppression and not having the opportunities. Um, you know, and I'm not making excuses, you know, right, for, you know, the status quo, okay, because, yeah, there's still a double standard on some platforms. But the thing of it is, is, um, you know, we're focusing on, as I said, the short-term cash and the, and the phony flash. And that's a parallel that a lot of people don't want to make as opposed to Chinese and some of the other cultures, as you said, um, you know, focusing on the really true academic part of it, that'll sustain a child um, economically and socially well into, you know, the older years of their life, of course, and therein lies part of the problem. And the other thing is, is um, in uh, a, a large part of our, our culture that I have seen to this point, um, we don't focus a lot on sustaining what we earn. We're very adept at uh, teaching children or even ourselves uh, ways to acquire it, be it through the NBA, be it through the NFL, uh, you know, or hey, uh, in some instances, in instances, you know, be it through banking or whatever. But we stop right there. So, and, 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 you know, there again, you go back to the focus as a parent. What are the parents focusing on? What groundwork are they laying in regards to, um, you know, teaching this child or pointing this child in the right direction where, you know, they can um, be successful economically, socially, academically across the board throughout their whole life? You know, not just that period that, you know, they're excelling at uh, football, baseball, whatever it is, or, hey, even in the business world. What happens after then? Uh, right. we, we, we are all too often caught up on getting it and then spending it. There's no focus on investing into your future. And this comes back to the uh, groundwork and priorities that we lay in place as a parent. I listen to Trent, you know, and, you know, I'm the same way. Child comes home, you know, and teacher says you're going to read for 20 minutes. Well, in my case, if the teacher says you're going to read for 20 minutes and my standard is you're going to read for an hour, for an hour you're going to read for an hour, regardless of what the teacher says, because that's my standard. And I think that we need to be careful, too, with confusing standards with control. It's easy to get them mixed up. And, you know, uh, I hear people say, I don't want to be a controlling parent. Control diminishes creativity. Control brings on depression. And, yeah, if you are a control freak, yes, you can stymie that child's growth. But you have to be careful not to, con not to confuse control with a high standard of expectations. And I'm a firm believer in if you teach that child and you set that standard so that that child aims for the moon, that child's going to fall somewhere in the stars, which is what you have to do in the first place. Hmm. Trent, I'll give you the last word. Hey, I, I couldn't have stated that any better. And he's uh, right. We are... Uh, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're consumer culture. You know, we're, we're, we're consume, 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 and we're not right. putting anything away. And I'm not just talking about uh, economically. We're, we're, we're really not putting a whole lot of weight. If, if you look at uh, our culture, you know, it used to be that our artists made real art. You know, and, and it, my generation, my generation is a hip hop generation, and I'll be the first to admit, we're making a whole lot of garbage, man, compared to, to, to other generations. You know, and 
it's it's the and kids are just following that culture because that culture has led to a, a a whole generation of parents who are not parenting. You know, the, we're not we're not parenting as we should be. And again, we're leaving it up to the schools. And I, like I said, I feel so sorry for school teachers, administration, and the people in the district because they have their load to bear. You know, I, we know our kids are a hot mess, and we send them to school, and then we t- and then we say the education is bad. Well, that's a small part of it. Somebody needs to refocus uh, America, especially Black America, on that education begins at home, and it's going to end at home. That school is just sustain it. And I and I'm done with that. Okay, folks, all right, well, two sets down. We're still rolling. We have one more set coming up, folks. We're talking about black-on-black discrimination. I can't wait to get into it. Trent, hang around. It's the serious side of the TGRS. We'll be right back. Good morning. My best friend's sister, she had a lot of friends, just not enough time. So she got really good at texting while driving. I mean, she was amazing, but... Ever since the accident, everything has changed. She still has a lot of friends, but now she has no time. Texting while driving, it's dumb, and it's deadly. This is a test. Uh, as we jump into the second set with laughter, a hearty laughter from Tommy Stout. Welcome back in, folks. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. A show for women by women. Is your resident map of the south, my little daughter. Good Sunday morning to you, folks, and welcome into the serious side of the TJRS broadcasting live from the Smooth Jazz Jazz Cafe. Welcome back. You are tuning in to the True Purpose Development Show tonight. We you are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. Consolation is 
After the hour, it's the serious side of the TJRS happens every Sunday morning right here on the BTRS. I'm, I'm sorry, on the BTR Radio Network. And folks, we're talking about black on black discrimination. This past week, we celebrated MLK Day, and of course, just like as always, most shows are dedicating a lot of their programming towards the slain civil rights leader. But one of the things that you heard during some of the shows, especially what I heard during some of the shows that I visited, was the fact that there were some people back in the day who weren't necessarily fans of. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, matter of fact, one guy called into a show and said that, you know, Dr. King doesn't speak for all black Americans. And so, obviously, people were upset with that statement, but what he was saying was, back in the day, a lot of black business owners weren't happy with desegregation, because once uh, desegregation went into full effect, the people had the opportunity to go buy from the white businesses, therefore, which led to a lot of our African American businesses closing down. So I'll start this set off with you, Trent. Uh, when it comes to black-on-black discrimination and that story that I just so first of all, do you think there's some truth in that, and how do you feel about this particular topic? Well, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, my mother is from Louisiana, and uh, my, uh, my mother-in-law is also from Louisiana. And my mother-in-law is a Creole, and I remember her telling me that uh, when she was a child, um, her grandmother actually told her that dark-skinned people were the devil. And she held that belief until she was old enough to figure that figure out that it wasn't true. You know, uh, it's 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 still prevalent in some parts of our country. Uh, my grandfather is in fact buried in the cemetery that is uh, split, literally down the middle. One light skinned folks and the other side is dark skinned folks. You know, but how do we get past it? How do we get past it in a in a, in a culture where um, if you're light skinned, it's can't TV. I, you know, you even have in our hip-hop culture, there's an issue with uh, rappers not using dark skin models. You know, hmm. um, how do we get past it? You know, he brings up a very interesting point, Dr. Odelia. You know, and, and, you know, we talked about this. You know, the movie Doing the Butcher had light skin versus dark skin, and, you know, we seem to, 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 to laugh and joke about that. But to be perfectly honest with you, when we really and truly start digging, uh, uh, you, you really see that there's some truth and there's some issues with this. I mean, you know, one of the things I always hear people say is that, you know what, if you want something done right, you need to go to the white man. Because if you go to a brother, so to speak, from a business perspective, you know, nine times out of ten, there's going to be an issue. And, you know, and in some cases that's true, but what say you in regards to that? 
Well, I have a whole lot <laughs> to talk well, about on this subject. Okay, we well, don't have, we have others, time. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I was going to say, you know, just uh, be considerate of other people on the panel. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, and I laugh about it, um, mm-hmm. they, and I use it to uh, definitely spread wisdom to other children when I see them playing in that, you know, I should say, associating with, with each other in that regard, the regard of, of segregation within one's own race, within our race, within the black race. Um, as I was, for for many years, I was the darkest in my family. And my family, my grandmother came from a, a very mixed family. Her mother uh, was Indian and black, and she looked more Indian than black, and then my great-grandfather was an Irishman. And she, in her family, she married a dark man just to stop the stigma. When I was young, the some of the some of my family you could not tell. You can't tell if they're black or white. They look white. And I had been pointed out even as a child in my face, you know, whose whose child is this? You know, and that was the comment one day to my grandmother. One of her cousins walked up to her and I was standing by my grandmother and um the lady looked at me and she said, Oh, Audrey, whose child is this? you know and my grandmother, you know, of course that didn't sit well with her. And then um later on I was going to marry someone in my early twenties. Um and my ex fiance at that time was dark skinned. Now we did not separate because of that but I remember one morning my grandmother got me up. We had breakfast, and she set me at the table to tell me, Now listen, honey, you know the problems that you've had. Consider your children. He's too dark. So we've dealt with this, and I, I was telling someone the other day, we go right back. Actually, no, I was talking on the phone. Um, and we go right back to the lynch letter. When you write something down and make it clear, believe it, it comes to pass. That should be a, a, a message for all of us. We need to cancel out whatever comes from that lynch letter because he said it. We won't have to fight, and I'm paraphrasing, but in other words, we won't have to kill them. They'll kill themselves. And that segregation was built from the beginning. You know, So we're dealing with what was stated for us and because of our ignorance of those things we have just let life take its course in our own race and it is very much a shame right 21 minutes after the hour it's the serious side of the tgrs happens every sunday morning right here on the tgrs radio network gog you know let's talk about it because you know when we talk about black on black discrimination you know the the, the the topic or the example that i gave before i yielded to to the doctor, I mean, that's prevalent in what we do. I mean, the bottom line is, it's like we won't do business with our own. But in fairness, I mean, don't we deserve some of this? When we say that, you know, people always come to you and say you need to do business with African-American businesses. Well, if African-American businesses are not doing the things that they need to do, I mean, we shouldn't be obligated to, you know, do business with them if they're not doing business the right way, right? I agree, and that 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 discrimination among the businesses is self-perpetuating, uh, and right. it's a two it's a twofold issue too, both on the consumer end and on the business owner end. And the reason I say that is a lot of African American businesses, and I go back to um, a time and an era that Trent brought up. Um, I was born and raised in the rural segregated South, and um, actually was you know in school during the time of desegregation. 
uh, with the schools as well as the businesses. Um, they were going through that transition. And what I've witnessed and still witness today in a lot of cases that black business owners seem to uh, harbor, if you would, a sense of entitlement when it comes to um, serving black consumers, meaning um, they expect their businesses to be patronized by black simply because um, the, you know, the consumer is black. You know, you should come in here and support me because I'm black, not because my product is a quality product or I'm pushing the best price. And out of that, you know, you get the black consumer that, of course, you know, they, they're going to repel this. And uh, a lot of times that gets tagged or identified, and in some instances, I guess it is what it is. You know, it's discrimination. But then on the other side of that, as I said, it's twofold. Um, the black consumer, a lot of times, they harbor a sense of entitlement. Hey, right. and uh, we've all heard it. It's, it's, it's a word that's not new to anybody, and I'm sure the listeners have heard it up and down, probably even used it a couple times ourselves. Hey, I need a hookup. Right. You don't walk into a Macy's and ask for a hookup. But you go in uh, Willie's Five and Dime or, you know, Willie's Fried Chicken, and the first thing you want is a hookup. You don't go in KFC and want a hookup. Um, you know, when it comes to doing business, when we're talking in the business aspect of it, that's the problem right there. Um, that um, it ultimately, ultimately gets perceived is, and whether it is in some cases, I guess we'll have to make individual calls, as discrimination. And in regards to interracial discrimination based on skin color, yes, that's been with us um, ever since we've been here. Um, we went through the era where, you know, women would only date light-skinned guys, and we went through the era where men only dated um, light-skinned women with straight hair, and then, of course, that propels us into the whole hair thing, and uh, Chris Rock, I believe, um, produced a movie on the whole hair thing, and then we got into, well, why do black women do these things with their hair? Are they not pleased with themselves? You know, um, uh, you know ultimately, I wrote that off as um, black women just being fortunate to have the, the, the greater hair that they can, and it's so diverse, they can experiment with, you know, more styles than their ethnic um, sorority sisters. You know, um, just because, you know, black women straight the hair doesn't necessarily mean she's discriminating against a race or has some kind of psychological issues going on. But be that as it may, yes, um, interracial discrimination exists, and it still exists. It's that crab mentality um, um, that, that is in that whole mix, too. Um, there are a huge percentage of us that, you know, uh, as opposed to letting the other one get ahead, exhale, um, propel the other one up, you know, so that, you know, the rest of us can prosper from whomever, whatever it is that's got them there. We reach up, pull them down, we'll support the businesses, um, you know, or, or what they stand for. Um, and, and it's unfortunate here in 2011, it's still prevalent. Yeah, he's right. He's right. He is absolutely correct. 26 minutes after the hour, it's the serious side of the TGRS. And people are saying that this is a topic that we could spend the whole show on, so maybe we'll do a part two uh, next Sunday. But let me go to you, Trent, because I read something in the chat room by Covania Man, and he wrote, desegregation helped expose the skin color elite. And so, in other words, I think he's saying the same thing that we all have been saying is that, you know, there is discrimination amongst, you know, dark skin and light skin. I mean, there are a lot of brothers that would prefer to have, you know, a light-skinned sister or, you use their terms, red bone, versus having, a, you know, a, a dark sister. And so, you know, when we talk about discrimination amongst ourselves, how can we, you know, bitch and complain, and sorry, sorry for the French, but how can we bitch and complain about what the white man or the man, this so-called man, is doing to us when we do this amongst ourselves? Well, I don't know. I don't know that we should be complaining about what they're doing. Uh, like I said previously, 
there's a lot of uh, complaining about uh, other folks when, you know, our house is pretty filthy. Uh, we got to fix our own house. And, you know, uh, personally, I think there's a generation loss, a generation loss to that. But it's, now the issue is where do we start with fixing it? Where do we start with, with telling our kids that uh, you, you're not ugly because of your skin color? Your skin color is beautiful. Um, it's, it's, a, it's funny to me because I have two kids in my house. I'm, I'm dark. I'm very dark. My wife is uh, very fair-skinned. My daughter is fair-skinned and my son is dark like me. It, it, it's, it's almost like mini-me. She looks just like her mother and he looks just like me. That um, is for sure. I also think about, uh, am I going to have to have this talk with my son one day? Um, when he starts to go to school with his sister, are people going to treat him differently because his sister's, sister's light-skinned? I know, you know, just common sense tells me it's going to be an issue one day. Um, I haven't resolved the issue of uh, how I'm going to address it when it does happen, but uh, I, I guess I have to start now with, with, with telling him how much he's loved, and, and, and um, I also think about what examples I need to give him of, 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 of people that are dark-skinned that have made substantial contributions to the, to the planet. And uh, just to let him know where he comes from, what he came from, and um, what what we were in Africa when we were dark, you know. And let him know, you know, in the southern part of Africa, there's a lot of dark people. And when you start going up uh, north, uh, the spectrum lightens. Um, but, again, it's just like the education thing we were talking about. It starts at home. But people can say that as a solution, but it's very hard to say it starts at home when you got Six million homes, six million people. You know, how do you get uh, uh, these a parent to start parenting? Um, and this issue can be fixed if we can get parents to start parenting. But um, a lot of our issues come from just that. Yeah, you're absolutely <clears throat> correct. Uh, 29 minutes after the hour, it's the bottom of the hour right here on the Serious Side. Happens every Sunday morning, broadcasting live from the Smooth Jams Jazz Cafe and Dr. Odilia. You know, when we talk about this, and we go back to, and I'm going to go back to this premise of business because I think that for me, the origin of this question was based on the fact that, you know, the young man saying that, hey, Dr. King, he doesn't represent all black people. You know, you have people that, you know, remember Dr. King and Malcolm X were going head to head during that time period until later in Malcolm, Malcolm X's life. So when you start thinking about all this and when you start trying to put all this together and solve the riddle, you know, Think about this for a second, and, and and this is something that, you know, I didn't live, I was very, very, very young during that time period, but, you know, I can see where black businesses would reject desegregation because it's just like anything else, you know, hey, listen, what you're doing is you're taking away my business because as soon as you say that they can go to the gold blacks or the piggly wiggly up the street to spend money in the white man's establishment, then guess what, you know, uh, uh, Jake's, uh, you know, hot sausage and ribs, we're going out of business because they're not going to come down here and do business with us. So when you sit down and think about that, I mean, I mean, to me, they had a legitimate complaint. I can see where they were upset by this whole desegregation thing. What say you? I can see why they why they were upset, but I I will say this as as a business owner, um, I, I I believe it was Geo that was speaking. You have your business. If you have good business, people will come to you. And a lot of times what you find is that a lot of black people do not hold the same standard. They 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 put the business, they kind of throw the business together in many cases, not all cases, because there are some great businesses, black businesses out there. 
But there are also just the same those that are in just to get just to get it quick and do not hold the same standards. It's almost well, we won't talk about that this morning. But a lot of them that you know proclaim and say, "Well, I'm a I'm, we're a Christian business." Well, don't tell me about your Christianity. Show me how you're going to handle business. You know, so we can't just expect things just because we're a black business. I think the same standard holds. I mean, it is tougher for us in some cases and, and, and not in all areas. So, but in many areas, it is it can be very tough for us. But, again, if we go at our businesses very strong, like we talked about in the, in the previous segment, like we teach our kids to get on the basketball courts or whatever, or the Chinese teach their children to work hard for academics, and so do black, some black people, but more so in that culture, then we have to do the same with our businesses, and we have to learn so that we can have strong businesses. So I, I mean, that's my opinion when it comes to that. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the calling number. Go ahead, GLG. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, before I, before we make any progress, we we ourselves are going to have to. And and Trent has 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 a wonderful. Um, um, platform um, to build from. I, I love it because it's the solid truth. We are going to have to clean up. I love the way he puts it. We're going to have to clean up our house before we make yeah, any progress sure. and we spend too much time um, slicing and dicing and analyzing. And I think in a lot of cases, I think it's the shift to focus off of the that's dirt right. that's in our houses and on that's us right. so that we won't have to deal with it. And right. until we get to the point where, you know, we clean up and deal with our own issues and inter- interracial discrimination is all too prevalent. I mean, we as African Americans, we, whether we want to admit it or not, we have a problem with skin color. And um, it, which makes us in this aspect no different than the average white person that does. Case in point, um, Lady I'm dating very beautiful black woman. I mean beautiful. Skin just happens to be dark, okay? Uh, but beautiful woman. I mean, in and out, personality, whole nine yards. I said to her the other night, you know, you're the blackest woman I know. And I heard the pause. I, I felt the pause, and I, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I got to straighten this up real quick, because I knew what was coming. Um, what the, who, you know, what do you mean? Who do you call it? Black. Um, um, and what I meant was, cultural-wise, experience-wise, you know, Social-wise, you're the blackest woman I know. And if you you go, you say that to somebody, you should try that. I, I, I challenge the listeners to try that today. Say that to somebody, and you'll see that it does exist. Because the first thing is going to come to mind is, who are you calling black? Meaning skin-wise, when no, that's not the intent at all. And that's just one analogy um, that you can use. That'll, that'll yank the covers off of it, that it still exists among us, and we have to deal with this and get beyond it before we can even expect the rest of America to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's 34 minutes after the hour. It's the serious side of the TGRS. It's Sunday morning, of course. You know, if we're talking serious stuff, it's the serious side. Dr. O'Dea, what say you? Well, you know what? I, I really I concur with what Gio has said and what... Trent has also spoken on, and it's very true. We do have to clean up our own house. I really do not favor the comments, not not the comments, I do not favor the constant uh, attention to what somebody else is doing to the black race. So I I know every time we bring up these subject matters, I, I constantly go back to us. 
Like, get you together and you don't have those problems. If you break down your own walls, you really won't have those problems. Because, I mean, I myself, I have I have a lot of mixed friends. I have white friends. I, I mean, I go over to their home, spend weeks, we vacation together. I have Chinese friends, Japanese friends, black friends, Indian friends. I've I've been invited to all different cultures, the Hindus, whatever. And there's no barrier. It's like it's almost for that moment you see it but you don't see it. We may talk about black stuff or their culture and we'll we'll communicate with each other. A lot of times what I find is that within ourselves we have so many barriers and we think it's this way or that way. That's our energy. That's our perspective. That's what we put out there to the universe and to things around us. When it comes to our businesses, do well with your business. Be consistent. Don't have, I wish, I mean, I I mean, don't do half, you know, blank, your business, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> I don't want to say the curse word here on the station. But, I mean, come on, that's what we see. I see that so often where you just put it together. No, take the time do it right. Stop saying that you don't know anything about money and then blaming it because you didn't handle your money right. Well, then you, there's things online, tutorials online. Heck, you could probably take a class on finances on YouTube or something. You know, I mean, you make it work. If You know, like uh, well, Beyonce. People talk about Beyonce. They talk about her performances and her attitude or her confidence or cockiness, as we talked about last night. But listen, she said, if I have to stay up two, three days or whatever, I'm going to do that because I want my product to be to be exceptional. She's not just going out there to sing a song. You know, she's doing a performance, and she's giving it her all. We have to empower ourselves and become stronger ourselves so that we can overcome those statements and comments and letters and lynch letters out there, right? so that we can get ourselves together. I, I think that is the bottom line. 37 minutes after the hour, it's the serious side of the TGRS. Uh, right here on the BTR Radio Network, we're talking about black-on-black black discrimination. And, you know, and, and it's always, you know what always gets me trained is that people, when they come to you and say things like, you know what, are you not supporting him? You know what, because you're a brother. You know, our GOG, when you said earlier in the conversation about this hookup, I mean, you know, it, 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 to me it's almost disrespect because we'll walk into a place and ask another African-American business, oh, come on, hook the, hook the brother up, hook the brother up. But, you know, like you said before, we won't walk in Walmart and ask Walmart to give us a hookup. We won't walk into other establishments uh, that are, you know, you know, take your pick. We won't do it. So, you know, why is it do we feel that we have a license to walk in, Trent, and have these conversations with business owners uh, when we won't do this to, you know, our white counterparts? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's very upsetting to me. You know, my uh, my brother is a, a barber, and um, you know, I would you know I would dress it, both these days. But uh, when I used to get my hair cut, people used to always assume because it's your brother's barbershop, You know, I got the hookup, or somehow I get to skip in line. You know, and I and I've always told them that uh, from day one when my brother was a barber, one of the things I told him is that this is your livelihood. I have to, if I'm going to be your brother, I have to support you. And what you do, I have to come in here and I have to act like a customer. I don't have to act like, I'm not going to come here acting like the brother that's coming here to get the hookup. I need to sit down like any other customer. I need to pay you like any other customer. And I need to do uh, what's respectable in your barbershop just like any other customer. You know, uh, in that, I always felt like I have to lead by example because, you know, like any other barbershop, 
you get a, a large customer base from friends and family, and these are people that I've been knowing all my life. So to me, I've always had to lead by example. You know, funny. The funny part is, about five years ago, I started walking into stores and I see I would see white people, and, I, and you know, jokingly, I always tell them, "Hey, give me the white people deal. <laughs> give, me, give me the white people deal." And, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, if you go in there and, and, and say that to a white person, they are just starstruck for a second. It's like they don't know what to say. Then I have to tell them, I'm just joking. <laughs> but give me the white people deal. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the, what the answer is, but um, just going back a little bit there, to, uh, we were talking a second ago, and I, I had a thought about uh, how much power there is in um, not blaming others. My dad used to tell me that uh, when you blame other people, whatever the issue is, when you blame other people, you have to understand that you can't control the problem. You can't fix them. So he used to tell me sometimes if you have an issue and it seems someone else, give yourself the blame and then see what you can do to fix it from your perspective. You know, and that, that's where I get this. Um, we're always blaming white people for, 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 for our issues. I'm like, you can't control them. So blaming them does us no good. You know, if you say, well, they did it, okay, now what? Can you make them fix it? No. You have to say, okay, this is an issue, and where does my blame lie? How can I fix it? How can I fix this issue? And, uh, the, and, 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 and with that attitude, I've found out in my life, I've been able to fix a whole lot of things. Surprisingly, I've been able to fix a whole lot of things when I say it's nobody's fault but mine. And if it's not my fault, what do I have to do to fix it? Hmm, absolutely correct. Let's get out to the phone lines. <clears throat> Let's go in. Good morning. Welcome into the series. What's your name and what's your comment? Hello? Yes, good morning. Okay. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Sarah. First and foremost, I wanted to um, thank you for having this topic. Um, it seems to be something that no one really, really wants to dig into, if you know what I mean, as far as black-on-black discrimination. Right. Um, I would have to say that when it comes to African-American people, I think that the first, the, the biggest hurdle that, that, that they will always have to deal with is um, with their own because we have right. such a deep-setted hatred, and we feel as though we owe each other something, even though we're not doing anything for each other. Does that make any sense? It makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, for example, you can go, you can grow up in a certain neighborhood, leave, become successful. As soon as you come back and everybody can see, all of a sudden there's this, this feeling, it's this vibe that you owe them something. Even though they didn't, even though everything that you have, they tried to tear down in their own little way. Um, black, black on black discrimination, in my opinion, crosses the board in so many different ways. I mean, there's other cultures that will hire a black person to discriminate and racially profile their own. I've seen this in numerous wow. times. I sit there and say, why, if you're black? Why would you work at an establishment that the people obviously tell you watch the, the Negroes, if you get what I'm saying, and you feel comfortable with that? What is it in you that makes you feel as though that you would be capable of doing such a job as that, as that where you obviously are racially profiling your own? But that gets used against us because people from other cultures understand that we are the one of the few people that have to deal with uh, the, the, what we get from our own and also for the rest of society because the world isn't peaches and cream, if you get what I'm saying. It's not like all – so we are the only ones that got to deal with coming against our own or our own doing against us along with everybody else. That's what makes black people so unique. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for your comments. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the phone number. It's the serious side. It happens every Sunday morning, broadcasting live from the Smooth Jams Jazz Cafe. And we're talking about black on black uh, uh, discrimination, and I think that let me turn it, let me take a turn here, GLG, because you know we talked about this thing where people feel that they have to do business with African American businesses because you're black, and it goes back to and let's lead this right back into politics. You know, I had so many people say, well, the reason why I'm voting for President Obama was because he's black. Now, and this is what I said back then, and I know people uh, may, you know, may not agree with it. I said, listen, I'll give you a pass this time if you want to vote for a black man for president. I'll give you a pass because that opportunity is just like an eclipse. You know, you, you, never, you don't see it often. Matter of fact, this is the first time in our lifetime. But when it, goes, when it comes around the second time, you know, it needs to be all issues. And, and, and so, you know, when we talk about this, having this allegiance to, you know, representing what's black or what's right or whatever, what say you in regards to that? I goes right back to, uh, at, you know, when I came into the opening segment, I still think it should be based upon uh, – basically qualified qualifications uh, of, you know, taking the forefront versus skin color. Because when we do that, when we do that, uh, that analogy right there, when we, when we uh, you know, whatever, when we uh, patronize a business, uh, we vote in a president or, you know, we vote in a, a principal in a school or whatever have you, councilman, congressman, um, basically – that's that's racism. That's discrimination. We're basically discriminating against um, whomever's competing with these people because this person is a, is a different skin color. So I think that there again, um, and when we stop and really think about it, it's probably an aha or a wow moment. We are uh, simply um, perpetuating it on another level. Uh, so I think it's going. It, it should always come back to what you can do, how you're doing it, and how you're offering it. And if it does not stand up or if you are not up to the standards of your competitors, you don't measure up with your competitors, then you don't deserve to be doing the business. You don't deserve the patronism. You don't deserve the office. Wow. Uh, Princess Ordea, I'll give you the last word. Go ahead, uh, Trent. I'll give you the last word. Apparently her phone's and her things is okay, uh, well, Go ahead. Well, you know my politics. Uh, like you said, yeah. you've been knowing me. And uh, you know that my politics are the same on in line with uh, with our current president's politics. But uh, I felt I, I have to admit I felt um, obliged, almost obliged to to vote for him, even though uh, our politics are different. Because I felt like um, you know this is a real opportunity for a black man to be a pre- to be president, for us to make some history, and that uh, I want to be on the right side of history. You know, I'm like, right. when he gets in, I mean, I've been voting for, for, for other people for years, and they've been screwing it up. If he's going to screw it up, give him a chance. Other people screwed up, and they've got my vote. So I've I, I felt almost obliged, and now that that's over, um, I, I do feel like I was on the right side of history. And, that, you know, and, and I, I probably wouldn't vote for him again because, like I said, our politics are different. But I did feel obliged, and I, I felt, uh, uh, I kind of feel honored that one day I'm going to be able to tell my kids, yeah, I'm going to cast that vote for President Obama. Well, you know what, I tell you what, he put that, that was well said, Trent. Folks, see what's happening, he's, he'll be blogging here. All right, folks, listen, that's it, it's in the books, but listen, we're not done yet. Coming up, before we go, a quick look at some stories that made headlines this past week, and Chatterbox, begin putting your thoughts in the chat room.
search quench and chill kind of average and only but goody but it could never be the average guzzle it sip and let it flow you know the speeds we're gonna have a hell of a time with drinks like these
Omówiono najważniejsze sprawy związane z dalszym rozwojem województwa i kraju. The week that was in the news. I think the same fantasy has popped into the head of everybody in my business who has ever been told what I've been told, that this is going to be the last edition of your show. Their husband, their husband lives in Houston. Elizabeth Cohn is standing by at the rehab center in Houston where Congresswoman Giffords will eventually make her way. And Elizabeth, tell us what will happen on your end. Um, what we've been told will happen, Carol, is that she will land and she will go into um, the Memorial Hermann University of Texas Hospital. Well, not our horrifying story of the arrest of a doctor at an abortion clinic. And, and maybe the Philadelphia district attorney described it best. I'm quoting him here. My comprehension of the English language can't adequately describe the barbaric nature of Dr. Gosnell. He's talking about Kermit Gosnell, the owner and operator of a women's clinic where police say hundreds of babies were likely murdered over three decades. It's time for, before we go, a quick look at some stories that made news this past week. And let's start off with Keith Overman. Good God, that was a surprise, GOG. Didn't see that one coming. Shocked me, and that's going to be a loss for cable news network as a whole. He was one of the few, and I go so far to say as the um, only creditable uh, talk show host on um, cable news network, MSNBC. It's going to be interesting to see where they go from this. But you know what, Jay? Fox News is probably jumping up and down throwing parties that he's gone because he was a big hemrod up in their backside. <laughs> you are probably correct. We have Kathleen Williams with us, the host of uh, Adam Before You Go. Adam, before, before you go, Adam, where are thou? I'm sorry. So listen, so, so Kathleen, I'm, I'm not sure if you're a big MSNBC fan, but what do you have to say about the scene with Keith Olbermann? Yeah, I'm a huge MSNBC fan, and I can't believe they fired Keith Olbermann. That was one of the only places I would get news. Um, I hope he goes someplace else. We're in trouble if we don't get him back. Uh, but it's time for one of us to get on there. Dave, I think maybe it's time for you to get one of those shows. I'd be able to support that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. You're making me blush here. Uh, Dr. Odelia, uh, the congresswoman from Arizona, she was moved to Houston for rehab, and the prognosis for her looks excellent. What say you? Well, I say that um, it's good that she is getting the help that she needs and that she is going to be on a safe uh, return to um, uh safe return to hopefully I, I you know to life okay it was very scary what happened to her and she's going to need more than just a physical rehab as a result of this there's going to be she's going to need some time i'm sure so um yeah. prayers go out for her for her continued um recovery inside and out because she's going to yeah. need it well said well said now gog I tell you, this thing in Philadelphia, when I read the news and, and saw this, I was livid. This guy, they should kill him the same way he killed those babies. Un, just unbelievable what happened in Philadelphia with this doctor. That's an awful atrocity. Uh, and what's so appalling about the whole situation was he was uh, operating. He operated for decades and, um, you know, killed. Uh, and just, this is just what they counted to this point. Count killed numerous babies and probably would have never come to light if the, he, he had not killed the immigrant uh, mother that went in. Um, and, and, you know, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think he should undergo the same punishment that uh, those babies uh, underwent. Just awful, awful. Absolutely. And Kathleen, you're closer to that situation than we are. My God, what are they saying out there on the East Coast? 
are just appalled. People are just appalled that something like that could happen. So, you know, we got a lot of work to do out here. We really have a lot of work to do to bring this world back to a you know, safe time. Absolutely. Absolutely. This week. Absolutely. All right, folks, it is time for Chatterbox. Final thoughts from the chat room, and let me go first. I have one from Black Achievement USA, and he says, Second, how can black people criticize anyone other culture when it comes to parenting? Just look at the jails. That's a good point. That's what we were talking about, Chinese moms versus black moms. G.O.G., what do you have? I'm going to go with gracious one. We are too proud to go back to our roots, and we are not getting educated to be anything different. What about you, Doctor? Who do you have? I have a spree radio show. Uh, Sports are social when you're young. So it is good for developing social skills and team, team concepts. In corporate, we are always trying to recreate team build situations. All right, folks, that's Chatterbox. All right, folks, one more one more uh, break, and we'll be back to put a bow on it after this. AP Update, I'm Ross Simpson. Friends, family, and associates of our Sergeant Shriver attended his wake in Washington. His son, Tim, says not long ago over lunch, he asked his dad how he'd like to be remembered. He says he got a very touching answer. I'm a man who was born and has tried to live committed to being open to all people, no matter their differences in nationality, race, religion, or geography. I am a man who is full of energy and health. I am a man who takes his responsibilities seriously. I'm committed to doing everything I can to succeed. Another son, Bobby, says his father's declining health brought his family closer together as they remembered him. One of the themes that came up repeatedly, I think, was that uh, not only were there many people who felt they were Sarge's kids, as many in the papers have said, but uh, Daddy loved to party. Shriver's daughter Maria told everyone her father wasn't afraid of dying. I'm Rustin. Folks, it is time for our final thoughts, another Sunday in the book. And uh, Dr. Odelia, you're up first. Final thoughts. Well, my final thoughts, I would like to say, as we talked about the subject of, of black on black and the, the segregation, I just want to say black business owners, my heart does go out to a lot of them who have, they're trying with all of the knowledge that they have. Listen, some of us are, have been very fortunate to gain wisdom of some great opportunities in business, business loans and grants. One thing that I do not like, we don't like to share information as a race. That has to stop. Let's help one another, help build one another, so that we can minimize all of the segregation within our own race. Help in that way. Thank you so much. Kathleen, real quick, we have 90 seconds. Give us a real quick preview of what's coming up tonight and final thoughts. Uh, Final thoughts, Jay, are that I think everybody should really go after exactly what it is they want in life. And I'm a living witness to that. You know, just go after what it is, and everything will begin to line up. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And tonight on Adam, where are there? We have a couple coming in talking about marriage and the importance of it. This couple, Jay, got divorced and remarried. And so oh. we'll be here. 
hearing about that, domestic violence, all that. And a lady talked about the blues on Valentine's Day, a psychotherapist. So we're going to have some fun tonight. All right, good deal. GLG, the man who gets the first and last word here. Final thoughts, big man. Just continue shifting the blame. Clean and you'll sustain. That's it. All right, look at that. He's all. <laughs> And on that note, if it's Sunday and we're talking serious stuff, what time is it, GOG? It's time for the serious side of the J. Rouse Show. All right, folks. God bless. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you tonight on Adam War Art Thou. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And enjoy football. God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.